Welcome back to The Pew, everybody. I am your host, John Edwards, and I am so excited to be bringing you another bonus episode of Just a Guy in the Pew. If you've been following what we're doing in the ministry, you know that we, every once in a while, bring on some of our favorite Catholic evangelists and presenters, speakers, religious, and theologians, and today is no different. Today, we're going to have Dr. Ralph Martin, one of my favorite theologians, on, and I'm going to bring him up here in just a second, but first, I want to tell you a little bit about him. So Dr. Ralph Martin is the president of Renewal Ministries and director of graduate theology programs and evangelization and an associate professor of theology at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in the Archdiocese of Detroit. He holds a doctorate in theology from the Angelicum University in Rome. Pope Benedict XVI appointed Ralph as a consultor to the Pontifical Council for the New Evangelization. He was also appointed as a paratist for the Synod on the New Evangelization, which was held in Rome in 2012. He's the author of the best-selling book, The Fulfillment of All Desire, A Church in Crisis, and several other books. He and his wife, Anne, reside in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and are the parents of six and the grandparents of 19. So without further ado, I want to bring up my good friend, Dr. Ralph Martin. Ralph, it's great to be with you. John, it's great to be with you. I've interacted with you by email and other ways, but this is the first time we're, so to speak, speaking face-to-face. Yeah, it's great to be with you. I, this is something I've been looking forward to for a long time. And, you know, before the show, we got to spend some minutes talking to each other just about our ministries. And, uh, you know, we have a very similar heart, I believe, in calling people to repentance and to the changing of life and, and all those things to follow Christ. And, you know, I, I've been uh, following your work for a long time. We've got some mutual friends here in Memphis where I'm from and have just admired the work that you and Peter and, and Pete Burak and all of those folks are doing up there at Renewal Ministries. And just so glad to have you on the show today. Well, good to, good to be here, uh, <laughs> especially just as we had a little chance to visit and share our, our similar hearts for the Lord. You know, the reason why we're preaching repentance and faith is because that's what Jesus told us to preach. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And it's not always easy. And a lot of times right. it finds us in some tough places with with different circles and things like that. And that's sort of what I kind of wanted to talk about today. I mean, you've had a book come out called A Church in Crisis, and it's something that I've just dove into and really have enjoyed reading. It's As I told you in the beginning before we started, that I felt like there was finally a voice to the things that was going on in my head and the things that I was hearing in my own heart. And so I want to talk about that a little bit today and just give you a chance to talk about why you wrote this, you know, what, what crisis we're facing in the church, the ways mm-hmm. out of it, all those things that you go through your book. And I guess a good place to start is, you know, before this book, you wrote something called A Crisis of Truth uh, years ago. And, and I was reading the front of your book that, you know, Pete Burak and, and a friend of yours, Jack, that used to work with you, really encouraged you to revisit that because of the times we're in. Could you talk about that a little bit and share where all this came from? Yeah, I think... I, I, I so appreciated the Lord rescuing me from a time of confusion when I was at the University of Notre Dame and was a philosophy major searching for the truth and uh, getting more and more confused by the day. And then finally, a friend invited me to make a cursio, which is like a weekend mm. retreat. And I just didn't think I'd get anything out of it at all. I was a philosophy major, you know, and, <laughs> you know, I'm, you know, I like complex things, you know, but I'll tell you. The Lord saved me, you know, at a, at a certain point on that retreat, this Jesus whom they were talking about, I just felt like, wow, I, I, I think he's here. You know, I think mm. I think he really is the Lord. I think he really has been raised from the dead. And I knew I had a tremendously important decision to make because 
I knew if he's really the Lord, I just couldn't add him to my great books collection. You know, I had to really, I had to really totally surrender, you know? And, uh, and so I just so appreciated the truth about Jesus and, uh, that, that I, I think just the Lord gave me a sensitivity to how important preserving access to the real Jesus is by his word and scripture. And, uh, so I've just been sensitive to that. And, Anyway, to make a long story short, I was in Belgium for four years doing stuff over there, and I was reading a bunch of stuff about what's going on in Catholic theology and also popular Catholicism, and I was just really concerned about a lot of confusion, a lot of watering down the faith, a lot of, well, you know, moral theology just starting to crumble, saying, well, maybe it's not so bad, and maybe if you really love each other, it's okay, and all this, and I just... I just felt like the Lord is asking me to kind of address that confusion. So when I moved back to the United States after being four years in Europe, uh, I, I gave a series of talks called A Crisis of Truth. Uh, I did it in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and uh, that's where I met Peter Herbeck, who's been working with me. And uh, and I just felt like, uh, you know, the Lord asked me to do it. And a lot of people kind of seemed to be helped by it. They recorded it and teams took it all around the country showing it put it into book form uh so i think it helped a lot of people and then when john paul ii became pope and then pope benedict it looked like a lot of this confusion about the mission of the church about sexual morality about sacred scripture had been kind of settled down you know liberation theology had been kind of adjusted and corrected and then you know when Pope Francis became Pope, it seemed like stuff that was under the surface kind of came out again. They say, yeah. wait a second, what's this stuff still doing around here? This is the same old distortion of the gospel that I, I tried to deal with years ago. And so then COVID hit, uh, you know, March of 2020 for us and all our travel got cut down, uh, completely stopped. You know, we did a lot of, we do a lot of stuff overseas, working in different countries, did a lot of stuff in the United States and Canada. And I felt like I had time to kind of take a look at this again and address it. So that's how the book, A Church in Crisis, came about. Uh, COVID had a silver lining for us. That's when we also kind of put some focus on our YouTube channel. And, you know, when COVID hit, we had 7,000 subscribers, and now we have over 62,000. Wow. So it's just, like, it's just like the Lord's kind of opened new doors through writing the book through doing the youtube every other week peter herbeck and i each do a new video and so uh and i'll tell you uh there is some crazy stuff going on right now john you know and i i try to identify it in the book you know people say well the first six chapters are devoted to trying to put my finger on what the distortions are what the deceptions are and then the last seven chapters are about how do we move forward? And what I was hoping is that if people could name the confusions, they'd gain freedom from them. They'd mm -hmm. say, okay, now I know what's going on. Now I know what the truth is. So now I don't have to have this underlying anxiety or fear or confusion, like what's happening to our church. I know what's happening now and I know what I've got to do and I know what the truth is, you know? So, so that's, that's sort of basically how it, how it happened. Sure. And, you know, you make a good point there. You're, you're, you're talking about the confusion and you see it every day. I mean, I because we're both in ministry, people talk to us about a lot of things and a lot of issues in the church. And 
So people are always asking, and I get emails all the time from guys that listen to the show that are just, man, my, my kid's coming home and, and asking me, you know, about what non-binary means and all of these things like that. He's in the third grade and, and, you know, the Pope said this today, what does that mean? Right. And, and all right. of these different things and people, one, I think there's, we have a lot of great people, a lot of great Catholics that know their faith, but we have a lot of Catholics that don't really know the faith to be right. able to explain these things. And so yeah. it puts you in that place of like, I, I don't know, uh, people are coming to me for an answer and I don't know, I don't know what that answer is. And so a lot yeah. of times we, we answer things without charity and, and without a true knowledge of where we're speaking. And we feel very combative because of the lack of knowledge we may have about the subject yeah. matter. And, and yeah. so, yeah, that's a huge problem. And it's one I've felt in my life. And, uh, you know, if, if there's something that I, do, that I don't understand, I try to go find somebody that does or go to the catechism yeah. and try to try to figure those things out. But, you yeah. know, Ralph, there's so many issues today. And, and as I read your book, you went through so many of them. Where's a good place to start here and just, you know, some of the issues, the place they put us in. And, and like you said, how important it is to identify these two that are troubling Catholics. Yeah. Well, some things just happened in the last couple of weeks that are really shaking people up. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I did a YouTube video on it just yesterday, uh, and I think it's got 32,000 views already. And the what, what I titled it is, I never thought I'd live to hear this. And what I was talking about is a cardinal in Europe, Cardinal Holrich, who's the uh, Cardinal of Luxembourg, his first time Luxembourg's ever had a cardinal, appointed by Pope Francis. He's also the president of the European Bishops Conference. And he's also been appointed by Pope Francis to lead this whole worldwide synodal process. Well, he came out in an interview. Somebody says, what do you think about the Catholic teaching on uh, homosexual activity being a sin? He says, I don't believe it. Mm. <laughs> he says, you know, uh, we got to catch up with the sociology and the science and we got to change the catechism. And we got to change what we're teaching about this. So people have said this, you know, there's, there's a bunch of people in the church obviously working to get the Catholic Church to accept the active practice of homosexuality. No question about it. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, Pope Francis says some things that seems to lean in that direction, too. But here you have maybe the most influential cardinal right now in the Catholic Church leading the European Bishops Conference, leading the upcoming Synod on Synodality coming right out and saying it's not true. What the Catholic Church is teaching about the act of practice of homosexuality isn't true. At the same time, Pope Francis gave a homily where he seemed to be saying that no matter what kind of life you're living, even if you're persecuting the church, even if you're renouncing your baptism, even if you're a blasphemer, you're part of the communion of saints and everybody's gonna be in heaven. So this is just so out there that I just felt like I had to to address it. Of course, what we need to do about addressing all these things is we need to recover our confidence into what God has revealed to us. We need to recover our confidence in the inspiration and inerrancy of sacred scripture. And Vatican II has a fabulous document on divine revelation. And a lot of Catholics don't know how the Catholic Church is really leading us to approach sacred scripture. For example, section 11 in the Constitution on Sacred Revelation, it says, everything asserted by the sacred authors 
should be considered to be asserted by the Holy Spirit. You know, he's God, by the way. You know that, John, right? Yeah, yeah. sure, sure. God, God is asserting things in sacred scripture and to teach faithfully, firmly, and without error those truths that God wished to consign to the sacred writings for the sake of our salvation. So if we're cut off from confidence in the word of God, we're being cut off from the path to salvation. We won't even know the real Jesus anymore. You know, Jesus is being manipulated as a figure by, by many people, but we can't know the real Jesus unless we pay attention to his teaching and what he says about himself. So I think the, the, the first step in getting out of the confusion is to recover our confidence in the inspiration and inerrancy of sacred scripture. If we lose our footing in sacred scripture, anything goes. And that's what's happened to many, many theologians in Europe. That's what I think has happened to Cardinal Hollerich. They grew up with really flaky scripture scholarship. They heard things like, well, maybe this wasn't really written by so-and-so, and maybe this was edited, and you know, this was so colored by the culture of the time that it's really not applicable to us anymore. That's not what the Catholic Church teaches about sacred scripture. But once you leave, lose your footing in, in the sacredness of sacred scripture, you drift in the direction that Cardinal Hollerick has drifted, and, and the German bishops are dr drifting. The same week that this happened, the synodal assembly in Germany overwhelmingly voted to bless same-sex relationships, to ordain women, to, you know, so there's a very serious sickness in the Catholic Church. There, there's a worse virus going on today than COVID. It's the virus of unbelief and, 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 and infidelity. It's, it's really terrible. Yeah, and I mean, you see it everywhere in the culture and this this norm to do whatever you want and be whoever you yeah. want, be your own God. And if you don't yeah. like something, take the things you do like and make your own right. thing. And relativism right. reigns supreme. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's it's such a problem in this world. And, and it's we do need that solid place to stay. And in. in fact, I think that's what you said. One of your chapters was called was, you know, uh, looking for a solid place to stand. And, yeah, yeah. The scary thing in that a lot of times is, and this isn't trying to broad brush the entire Catholic faith, but, you know, as a former Protestant, the the outlook of Protestants or Catholics were most of the time that scripture isn't an important part of being a Catholic. Like, you know, it's not a big deal and you don't need it and right. all those things. Right. But it's exactly that which we need more than ever right now right. is a true understanding of right. that. Yeah. You know, because I feel like we, we get pressured by the culture when you say things like you just said about homosexuality and, and things like that, people go, well, you're just a bigot or you just hate or right. you're just this. But right. all you're doing is trying to to express what was given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ and by God himself. Right. And it was. Yeah. No, go ahead, John. Really. No, no, please, please. I want you to jump in. Please. We're, we're, we're going to just be jumping on you know, sure. each other. <laughs> the whole program. No, I want you to finish. I really do. Well, I just I was just saying, like, it's it's. There's a there's a, a temptation for people to think that you're not speaking in charity, but you really are. You're right. really calling people back to look. Yeah. I love your soul. I care right. about you. I want right. you to know the Father. I want you to have eternal life. I'm yeah. not yelling at you because of the choices you've made in your life. Yeah. I'm trying to help you make the choices that God tells us we have to make. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. that's where I was yeah. going with that. <laughs> yeah. And this isn't the Catholic teaching on marriage and sexuality isn't intended to take away anybody's happiness it's intended to lead people to happiness Amen. this isn't hate speech this is love speech this is god loving us enough to reveal to our darkened minds our confused souls our disordered desires 
his original purpose in creating us as male and female. And really, I mean, the bottom line is he created us male and female. And this whole movement of gender confusion and everything like that is such it's it's from the devil. Now, he's playing on people's real wounds. I mean, there are things like gender dysphoria. People have been wounded. But if you look into the backgrounds of people who, who are having these problems, a lot of times there's trauma. A lot of times there's yeah. bad things that have happened. People need healing. People need help. Uh, and it, it will not solve their problems by pretending they're not a man or a woman, but by dealing with the things that are causing them to move in that direction and receive the healing and mercy that God has for them. But, uh, you know, besides recovering our confidence of sacred scripture, right now, the the point of the wedge that's coming against the Catholic Church is in the area of sexuality. So people say, oh, the Catholic Church is hung up on sex. That's all it ever talks about. Well, it's hardly said a word about sex for about 40 years. <laughs> you know, it, it's never spoken about uh, in church on Sunday. Every time passages come around, uh, the priest usually avoids them. Now, this is because he knows that half of his congregation has already gone over to the world. That, that half the people coming to church are coming not with the mind of Christ and the spirit of God, but they're coming with the mind of the world and the spirit of the age. So they feel intimidated. So priests and bishops have to get over their intimidation. They need to fear God more than man. And they need to start telling people the truth for their salvation because it is not compassionate to pretend that these things are not leading to death. It's just not compassionate. Yeah, you're right. And that's, there's one of the, that's one of the things that bothers me the most in the church today is we know there's these, we walk around acting like we're not broken, like we're all fine, but we know each one of us is broken, but we don't want to address that brokenness. Instead, we'd rather white knuckle the steering wheel of life and try Mm -hmm. to act like everything's fine. And, and I can see why people, people get angry that like, I'm coming to church for help. I want to hear truth. Right. I, yeah. want, I want my children to hear it from someone else other than me. You know, I yeah. want this shared and where there's that frustration yeah. of, man, if I'm not going to hear the truth in the thing that is supposed to be the light of the world and the pillar of truth in the world, the Catholic yeah. Church, yeah. Then where am I going to hear it? And that's where people get such a feeling of of despair, you know, yeah. is is is. Yeah. Like the thing that should be standing up against all of this is this onslaught of my children, of myself, of everything yeah. else. I feel like I'm never hearing it. And, you know, yeah. we know that things like pornography and, and masturbation and all these things are such a huge problem, infidelity. And yet yeah. we never speak about them in mass on Sunday. And it's yeah. it, it can be yeah. infuriating. Right. And the readings that try to lead us to happiness and truth and peace in these areas come around all year round in the liturgy. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, don't let anybody deceive you. The immoral will not enter the kingdom of God. Now, is that a clear assertion or is it not? And remember what the Catholic Church teaches. It's an assertion of the Holy Spirit. The underlying Greek word for this, and I know this from Dr. Mary Healy, who I teach with at the seminary, who also teaches on healing. The underlying Greek word for immorality is sexual immorality. And she's working on a retranslation of the New American Bible. 
and she thinks it's going to be translated as what it really says, sexual immorality. The sexually immoral will not enter the kingdom of God. So for, for so many years now, John, people have been hearing, well, God isn't concerned about these little personal things. He's, he's concerned with the great world issues. You know, he's concerned with climate change. He's concerned with this, that, and the other thing. And he is concerned about the big issues. He's concerned that we be responsible stewards of the earth. He's concerned very much about racism. He's concerned very much about all these things, about war and peace. I mean, having people kill each other is awful. You know, we, we shouldn't have people killing each other. It's terrible, particularly nominal Christians killing each other, which often happens. So bad stuff. So working for peace and justice is really important. Oppressing the poor is really terrible. But people have gotten the impression that sexual morality is no big deal. It's just these other big epic issues. And it's just not true. God is as equally concerned as he's always been about these things that most impact our personal lives, our souls, our bodies, mm -hmm. and the souls and bodies of other people. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, don't let anybody deceive you. The immoral will not enter the kingdom of God. The fornicator. Fornication has become so accepted, it's considered no big yeah. deal. It's considered yeah. normal. Hey, your son and daughter is sleeping with their boyfriend. No big deal. Everybody's doing it. The church has to kind of adjust with the times. The adulterer, you know, hey, you're not being happy in your marriage. You know, go, go look for happiness someplace else. You know, the person who engages in homosexual activity. So it's not talking about tendencies. It's not talking about inclinations or temptations. Everybody's got temptations to something bad, you know. What we got to do is resist those temptations. But when you act on the temptation to sexual immorality, you're endangering your salvation. You know, the, mm -hmm. the inspired word of God says you will not enter the kingdom of God. So if anybody listening to us or watching us right now is involved in sexual sin, they need to do whatever it takes to get out of it. You know, Jesus said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but rather be afraid of the death and the, the soul and body in hell. You know, <laughs> hey, and, and he says, do whatever you need to do to get free of serious sin. If your right hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye is causing you to sin, pluck it out. Better to enter the kingdom missing an, a hand or missing an eye than to enter, go to hell with an intact body. Now, he's not really saying cut off your hand or cut off your eye, but he's saying take any measure necessary to get free of sexual sin, get into a 12-step group, get a filter for your computer, get an accountability buddy, stop drinking, do whatever you have to do to stop weakening yourself in sexual temptation and, and turning back to the Lord, you know? So this is pretty serious. This is pretty serious. Uh, and I'm just concerned about the silence on this, the lack of clarity on this, the fact that this is endangering people's eternal salvation. Let's not Amen. be quiet about it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Amen. I love to see your passion about it because it. I think there is a proclivity with people to say, well, I haven't murdered anybody. So, right. you know, I haven't done this. I haven't done that. And I hear guys a lot say, well, I haven't ever committed adultery. And my question is, have you ever watched porn and been impure with yourself? Yes. Then you've committed yes. adultery. Like, yeah. I mean, this is this is what we yeah. have to understand. And, yeah. and because the world tells us we, we should do what we want and all those things, we look at Christianity not as a joy, but as a set of rules yeah. and punishments and regulation yeah. and and yeah. just unhappiness. And yeah. what it is is God's asking you to put Him first in your life and to surrender right. and to right. to be the be the, the creation that loves the Creator and, and follows those right. rules. And and right. you know we did an episode one time called the Gut Check, and I talked about the Beatitudes Matthew five through seven and 
how Jesus basically gives you the cheat sheet of, you know, you want to come to heaven, you know, blessed are they, blessed are they, blessed are they, blessed are they. But we love to talk about that part, but we don't want to talk about what follows where he's like, your house is built on sand. If you're not going to do what I say, those who listen and do what I say, not just hear it in a homily on Sunday and go, well, that was nice. And then onto my grocery list, but people that actually live it, he says, um, narrow is the gate, right? He yeah. said, you know, and wide is the path that leads to destruction. And then he, the scariest verse in the Bible to me is John. Oh, I can't remember the verse. Now. It's in Matthew. But um, but he says, solemnly, I will say to you, be gone from evildoers. I never knew you. Right. right? And, and these yeah. are people before he says that, that say, Lord, we prophesize in your name. We cast out demons. We healed right. the sick. We all of these things, they they seem to be doing what Christ is calling them to do. Yeah. Yet he says, be gone from me, evildoer. They don't have that relationship. They haven't given themselves over and surrendered all these things to follow them. And this is where I think there's the crossroads in our churches. Like we say we want truth, but we don't really want the truth. We want our truth and we want versions of the truth and we want comfort and all of those things. And it's universalism. Like that's one thing you talk about in your book is universalism. And yeah. And the sin of presumption is so high amongst people today that God, if God loves me so much, surely I can live my life the way I want to. And he, he just won't be able to stomach sending me to hell because if he does, he doesn't right. love me the way he says I, he does. Right. Right. I just gave a talk to high school boys and girls last night. We have an outreach to high school boys and girls in the local area. And somebody came up to me afterwards and said, isn't God so merciful that it doesn't really matter what you do because he's oh. so merciful. And I said, no, that's not true. That, that's a deception. God is yeah. incredibly merciful. He's overwhelmingly merciful. But we need to respond to that mercy with surrender, with repentance, with an acknowledgement that we need mercy, that we have sins that need to be forgiven. We have rebellion that needs to be repented of. We have uh, a hard heart that needs to be made soft by the Holy Spirit. You know, So God is tremendously merciful. But if we presume on that mercy, just like you said, rather than respond to it with faith and repentance, we're fools, you know, yeah. we're fools. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned universalism because, oh man, that's, that's a killer. <laughs> that that's, that's really a killer. You know, if I were to describe how so many of our fellow Catholics look at the world today, I describe it like this. Broad and wide is the way that leads to heaven. And almost everybody's going that way. But narrow is the door, difficult the road that leads to hell, and hardly anybody's going that way. Now, John, I don't need to ask you, but what's wrong with this picture? Sure, sure. Well, first of all, we're not living in what Christ calls us to, right? There is a difference. There's a repenting, which means to change, to turn from in your life, to follow a different path. And It's exactly the opposite of what Jesus says, isn't it? You talked about Matthew chapter 7. What does Jesus say? Verses 13 and 14, he says, broad and wide is the way that leads to destruction. And many are traveling that way. But narrow is the door that leads to life, difficult the road, and few there are who are finding it. So Jesus doesn't want it to be like this. You know, we know that God wills the salvation of the whole human race, that he wills that all human beings come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. He didn't create anybody for damnation, but... The price he paid has to be responded to, you know, and we know that he was weeping over his own city because they were not responding to him. They were not accepting him. 
And he says, horrible things are going to happen because you're rejecting the hour of your visitation. And we know that the year 70 AD, the Roman armies arrived and literally tore apart Jerusalem, tore down the temple. A million people died. You know, eyewitness account by Josephus, the uh, Jewish historian who was actually translating for the Roman conquerors. This really happened because people rejected Jesus. There's real consequences for rejecting Jesus, not because Jesus is mean or vindictive, but because when you cut yourself off from the source of life, when you cut yourself off from love and truth, you're, you're, you're plunging yourself into uh, darkness and, and darkness is gonna kill you. Amen. And I, you know, I've had so many conversations with people that are like, well, I'm gonna get right sometime, right? I'm gonna get my life right sometime. And I just ask them, how many how many people get a deathbed you know five minute movie long confession before they die how many car accidents end in that how many heart attacks in that way this right. this idea that i'm going to have some time someday i'm going to live the way i want and then i'm going to depend on god's mercy to save me instead of realizing i have to act in the plan of salvation i have to right. repent in my own heart and i think yeah. this is this is the toughest part is as a people, and I'm talking about Catholics, Christians, the world, we don't feel like we have to repent. It's just God will love me for who I am and see past my mistakes because God right. is a loving God. And when I became Catholic and really Catholic, not just when I married my wife, but started to actually live the faith, that mm -hmm. is one of the things that I appreciated the most that I came to understand was when I was a Baptist, I would do things wrong in my life and I would ask for forgiveness, but I never really knew if... I was forgiven or not, right? I never really knew if there was an answer to those things. And there wasn't really that feeling of, of am I changing? Am I forgiven? Am I repenting? And here in the Catholic Church, we have such gifts and these sacraments and all these things that God has given us to call ourselves into this change of life and into this path that we're supposed to follow. But Ralph, yeah. that's, that's what keeps me up at night is just so many people that are, and you know, we're not the savior of the world. There's already been one of those. But right. just this idea that so many of our brothers and sisters are buying into this universalism and this presumption yep. that no matter what happens in my life, I'm going to get a do-over, you right. know, and it's just it's just not uh, true. It isn't. It really isn't true. That's what Mary said at Fatima. You know, she showed the little children a vision of hell, seven years old, nine years old, ten years old, showing these little children a vision of hell that they were horrified by. Mary wanted them to know that this is what's going on. And he, she called them. She said, so many people are going to hell because so few people are praying and offering sacrifice for their salvation. And and she called them to do that. You know, and I, I, I want to call people watching or listening right now to do that. We've got to care about the salvation of people. We've got to care that our, our sons and daughters aren't going to automatically go to heaven. We've got to mm. wage spiritual war for them. We've got to be doing spiritual warfare, uh, asking the Lord to deliver them from deception, deliver them from being misled, uh, giving them the grace of repentance if that's what they need. And one of the greatest pains, of course, in families these days, in Catholic families, is seeing Catholic sons and daughters go off to Catholic universities and lose their faith. Oh, Lord, have mercy, you know, how horrible is that? You know, or even going to Catholic high schools or, you know, Catholic grade schools sometimes, you know. And so we have to really be vigilant. We have to do spiritual warfare. We have to do praying and fasting uh, for, you know, Jesus said some of these demons only leave with when you add some fasting to prayer. So we really need to care about people's salvation. That's where evangelization comes in, mm -hmm. you know. 
the the call that the Catholic Church is making to all Catholics to be engaged in new evangelization is falling on deaf ears because people don't really believe that people need to know Jesus to be saved. You know, they, they don't really think that people have to live in, in union with Jesus and his word and obey the Ten Commandments. They think it's all going to everybody's going to get a trophy in the end. And it's just not true. And so when scripture says, if you hear his voice today, you know, harden not your heart. Mm. We, we got to say that, don't we? Every time, John, you do this podcast, you got to say, mm-hmm. if you hear his voice today, harden not your heart. You know, today is the acceptable time. Today is the hour of salvation. You don't. we don't know how much time we have, you know. One of the Psalms, I think it's Psalm 90, says, you know, meditate on the shortness of life and learn wisdom of heart. We don't know how much longer we have. We can't presume on a deathbed conversion. Not only that, who wants to live the rest of your life in opposition to God's will, thinking that that's the greatest pleasure and happiness there is in life? It's not. The greatest pleasure and happiness in life is living in union with God's will, living with the love of God in your heart living free of being a, 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 an addict to sexual sin or any kind of sin. Yeah, that, that's so true. And, and, I, and I share that with folks a lot. I just say, look, you're worried about not being who you are anymore. You're worried about losing friends or influence or being set apart at work or all these different things. But in the end, like there's no one who knows who you should be better than the one who created you. The one Amen. that loved you into existence, right? Yeah. It's we, right. we look through all these things and we're looking to fill this hole in our heart with everything else but God. And right. and it's it's like beating your head against the wall and then finally one day hopefully realizing that it hurts. You know, yeah. we need to stop doing it. And and right. so you know, I want to talk about that a little bit. You know, we've talked about a lot of things here so far, and I'm enjoying every minute of this, as you could tell. <laughs> but uh I would like well, to I, talk I, I could tell that we're on the same wavelength. Yeah. I, I could tell we're brothers in the Lord with the mind and heart of Christ, you know, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Amen. It is. It is. Cause I, you know, Ralph, this is something that I try to pound home to people all the time is we can learn every bit of everything the church has to offer. You can know every uh, thing that St. Augustine did from the time he was born to the time he died. You can learn every book on everything, but if you don't know Jesus, Amen. if you don't love the Lord, then you're right. somebody that's really smart that doesn't get it. Yeah. Right. And, and it's just right. that this is where my heart is in the church is I think there's a place in, and, you know, my bishop shared with me one time, he said, this is, this is where the heart of the church needs to be. This visceral knowledge of understanding that we need a field hospital and that people mm-hmm. need to truly understand the charisma and what the Lord has done for them and mm-hmm. understanding that and going into a relationship with them. And once we really right. come to know him, that's the difference in what you see of the people that are just living differently. How can yeah. Ralph spend his entire life devoting it to God in the way that he has? It's because you you met somebody who did something for you that you could not do for yourself. Yeah. And and you fell in love with them and now you're out there trying to bring others to him. And that's yeah. the difference between a church on fire, a church alive and one that's simply going through the motions. Yeah. No, uh you see the icon of Jesus behind me and then mm-hmm. above that there's a uh, Jesus on the cross with blood coming down at St. Dominic by Fra Angelico, I think it's in uh, Florence. But uh, yeah, I, I pray right here in this room each morning and hmm. uh, I, I meditate on the Word of God. And then I look at the icon of Jesus and Jesus is the one that wants to be in communion with us. He's the one that we pray 
so that we can be with and he's the one that we can meditate on his word and enter into deeper relationship with him so you know i would encourage men watching this today if you don't have a personal prayer time if you don't take some time each day to be with the lord and and meditate on the word of god uh there's different ways of doing it i, I use that little magnificat you know booklet you know type of thing and mm-hmm. just reading reading the uh readings of the day and asking the lord to speak to you uh you know, sometimes I'll, I'll read something I don't understand, and I'll say, "Lord, help me to understand this. I don't understand this. Help me, help me to understand this." And sometimes we forget. You know, like it says in the Epistle of James that we've been reading recently. He says, "If any of you lack wisdom, ask God to give it to you, and He will." Hey, hey, let's <laughs> let's take advantage of that. You know, hey, let's hey, I need wisdom, Lord. Give me some wisdom. Give me some understanding. Like when I had to give this talk last night to high school students. I was having a trouble figuring out how to do it. They they wanted me to talk on the four last things: death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Mm-hmm. And that's a tough that's a tough assignment. You know, you don't mm-hmm. want to have a gloomy evening where you're talking about death, judgment, hell, and a little bit of heaven. You know, so so I said, Holy Spirit, help me how to help me how to get into this in a way that conveys the truth, but gives people the hope and joy of the promise of the Lord to save us from hell and and to bring us to heaven. So I felt like the Holy Spirit really gave me a way of doing that, you know, and almost every time I have to give a talk, I, I ask the Holy Spirit to help me because um, it's just not book knowledge, you know, you know, it's just not book knowledge. It's just not head knowledge. It's It's got to be living communion with Jesus knowledge, uh, understanding given by the Holy Spirit about the Word of God, you know, so, yeah, and it really is. It's, it's, it's growing the wholeness of the person. You know, we need formation. We definitely need to learn. We need to learn our faith and to keep at that. But we need worship, right? We need to experience yeah. the mass and the sacraments and all of those things. Yeah. Adoration, right. all the things that we have. We yeah. need service. You know, we need right. to go out and live our faith to others. And we need fellowship with one another, with our yeah, brothers and sisters. Yeah. And yeah, and that's do. a huge part of it. And, you know, I want to jump back for a second uh, on to some of the Church of Crisis here. Because uh, I know there's going to be people that are saying, I want to know, what do we do about a lot of this? What is yeah. my role as an everyday? I'm just, and I hear this all the time, I'm just a guy, right? I'm just a man. I don't know a lot. I'm not a priest. I'm not a bishop, a pope, a cardinal. What do yeah. I do in this? And what's the yeah. role I have to play in, in pathways yeah. forwards, if you will, in this? Yeah. I'm wondering, John, if we could just show people the cover of the book. Sure. Uh, I got I'm, it too. So. Yeah. It's sort of like, uh, it's kind of yeah. like. I, I really like the cover. It's it's Notre Dame Cathedral in, in Paris burning. And right after we chose this as the cover, uh, I was talking to somebody who works for the Bishop's Conference, and he said, you know what? The church is burning. I just felt like it was like a confirmation. Like, we really do have some very serious problems. And uh, I, I would like to recommend folks, if they'd like to get a deeper insight into what is going on, they could get the book, you know, anywhere you can get books type of thing. But uh, the second the second part of the book talks about Pathways Forward. You're going to like this, John. There's a whole chapter on repentance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> that was my favorite and, and, one. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And, and it's got a whole examination of conscience, you know. Like mm-hmm. you, can, you can actually ask yourself, how am I doing in this area, that area? Is, is there some area where I need to repent? And I actually kind of include some a repentance examination of conscience that the Archdiocese of Detroit did, because not only do we need to do this as individuals, but we need as a church to repent sometimes, sometimes a parish, sometimes a diocese. 
mm-hmm. uh, has not been faithful to the gospel. You know, the Archdiocese of Detroit repented for not always telling people the truth, mm-hmm. you know, not really telling it like it is, you know, and various other things, you know. And so uh, Pope John Paul II had a really solemn ceremony of repentance just before the year 2000 saying, unless we're really honest about ways in which we've fallen short of our own teaching, uh, we can't expect the Lord to bless us with renewal. So repentance has to precede renewal. I got another chapter in there about spiritual warfare. Got another chapter on a time for action. So what could the average lay person do? Well, we we need to ground ourselves in the truth of the faith. We need to know what the truth is. So when something flaky is being said, by a deacon or a priest or even a bishop or somebody in a religious education program or somebody who teaches in a Catholic school, we shouldn't just be passive and just kind of say, well, I'm not a theologian. What do I know? You know the truth. You know the truth. And if you know the truth, you got to be concerned about it when it's not being spoken and when falsehood is being spoken or presumptions being conveyed or the virus of universalism is being pervaded. And so what I suggest is that need to go to the person and say, gee, I think I heard you say this. And is, is this what you meant? Now, sometimes the person may say, no, I, I actually didn't mean to say that. And, you know, I, I agree that that's a problem. And, 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 and probably we should then say, well, I think you need to correct it because I think people got that impression, you know. But sometimes the person will say, yeah, that's that's what I meant to say. I mean, we got to get on the right side of history. You know, the churches need to evolve. You know, the church needs to uh, accommodate itself to the culture. You know, this is old fashioned, culturally conditioned stuff, and we need to change and evolve, just like Cardinal Hollerick said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, and then, and then we need to say, uh oh, we got a problem here. Yeah. And go to the bishop. You know, you just have to kind of exercise whatever avenues you have to prevent people from being misled about what can save their soul. So you go to the bishop. I got to tell lay people that the bishop does not want to hear from you. He, he doesn't want to know that there's a problem with one of his priests or one of his deacons. Uh, I remember one day going to a bishop to talk about a serious problem in a local parish. And he said, look, it's either a bad priest or no priest. I yeah. said, no. I said, no. You know, even if we have to have mass in a field house or a stadium with good solid priests that's what we should do we should never say it's right to fill a slot with somebody who's teaching error just to keep a slot filled you know amen so you know so i I would encourage lay people who run into problems and they're not resolved on a local level to go to the bishop and then we we've we've done our responsibilities In, in previous years i said if the bishop doesn't respond send a letter to the Apostolic Nuncio in Washington, D.C., but that's not going to work these days because he's he's in a different place and he won't be sympathetic to any concerns about the truth not being spoken. Mm, man, <laughs> that's a statement right there you just shared. <laughs> but, I, I you should, know, I, maybe, I should, maybe I should modify that. I don't yeah. think he'll be interested in hearing about these things. Yeah, that's unfortunate. You know, I, I think I think that's where the stress comes from. You know, Ralph, as we talked about in the beginning, is just people, especially the ones that are trying to live in the truth, the ones that are trying to let their actions match their words, which is really yeah. what we're called to, right? We're not we're not called to just speak things and then live differently from the words we speak. And 
that right. is a huge problem with with a lot of lay people. I, you know, I've I've known several people over the last couple of years that have spoken out about homosexuality, but then I see them sharing pictures about taking part in a wedding of a cousin that was yeah. you know had homosexual. You know, it's just like. Yeah. You got to live it. Like you can't just right. in this group of people put on this mask where I'm, I'm going to yeah. pretend to live the truth and then I'm going to take it off and go over here and not live the truth. And so yeah. I think that's some of the responsibilities we need to take as lay people too, is as you're saying, yeah. if you know the truth, we have an obligation, a moral obligation, and we'll face consequences for not living in that truth. Right. No, you're, this is where the rubber hits the road, so to speak. Uh, People have a very difficult time when it comes to emotional relationships with people close to them in their family. And Jesus knew that this was going to be a problem. So he said, I haven't come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. There's going to be division in families over me. Uh, Mother-in-laws against daughter-in-laws, fathers against sons, mothers against daughters. Uh, But you need to love me more than even close family relationships when it comes to a choice between me and them over obeying me and being in harmony with my truth or not, you got to choose me because I'm your lifeline to heaven. I'm your lifeline to even peace in this world. I'm your lifeline and you can't love son or daughter more than me. Now this is very, very hard for people to hear, which is why you just shared that example you did, but people have to get to the point where Jesus really is the primary loyalty in their life. If he's not the primary loyalty, he's really not Lord. And he is Lord. And, you know, Jesus says in in, in Luke chapter 12, he says, unbelievers are always worried about what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, what the future is going to bring. But I say to you, seek first the kingdom of God and his holiness. And these other things will be added as well because your heavenly father knows you need them. So this isn't the prosperity gospel. This isn't where Jesus is promising us a Lexus or a Tesla or whatever. This is where he's promising us that we will have what we need to fulfill the purpose for which he created us, that God the Father will give us what we need to fulfill the purpose for which he created us. So we have to believe that if we act on the truth of Jesus being Lord, even when it comes to disappointing family members, and incidentally, this is a very real thing, as you know, like the son or daughter comes home, on Christmas break, they come home with their girlfriend or boyfriend, whatever, and and they just expect to be sleeping together in the same bedroom because they're living together, they're fornicating or whatever outside of outside of marriage. And a parent's left with a horrible choice because the kids are going to say, "If you love me unconditionally, you'd accept what I'm doing." And we got to say, "Because I love you unconditionally, I can't accept what you're doing, or I wouldn't be loving you." I've been giving you the impression that what you're doing is somehow something that's going to lead you to happiness. And it's not. It's going to lead you to misery in this life. But even worse, it's endangering your eternal salvation. So as a parent who really loves you, I can't bless you heading in a direction that's going to be death for you. And so we have to accept kids saying, well, I'm I'm leaving right now. I talked to a woman the other day who said uh, she took that stand and... uh, her son's girlfriend was terribly offended at two o'clock in the morning. They left, but months and years later, they're back and they're living in separate bedrooms and they're accepting, you know, the witness of, of the mother, you know, but uh, it's, it's painful. Uh, we have to be willing to endure the pain. It's a sword. It's a sword. 
uh, we have to be willing to accept the cross in our lives by being faithful to what Jesus says. But but being faithful to what Jesus says is also being the most loving we possibly can to other human beings. Amen. Amen. And, and living that action, I mean, that's the thing. We can't expect our children to ever be morally sound if we're not willing to be morally sound ourselves, if we're not willing to stay, take a stand. That's the only way they're going to learn. It's It's back to your point about spending you know tons of money on catholic education and then you know your kids didn't come out catholic like they went into an easy bake oven and came out you know super catholic we have to live it ourselves we have to be the ones that that teach our families that teach our children that live it out and back up what we say because if not then then we're a hypocrite right i mean it's what jesus called the pharisees is we're saying one thing and doing another and that's not the example that we need and i think right now in the world Part of the reason that the world says, well, why do I want to be Catholic? You're not living any different than anybody else. You know, I, I gave an example of of some people a while back uh, that I know that are that are Catholics. And, you know, they're on Facebook just tearing each other down, to your point earlier about, yeah. you know, the TLM is the only way. The You know, right. this is the only way. And if you're right. not going right. here, right. you're not holy. Yeah. And it's just yeah. like... How do you ever expect anybody, people, everyone around you, because you're a very vocal Catholic, understands that you're Catholic, but yeah. yet they see you tearing down someone else within your own faith because they prefer a different thing than you in the faith? Right. Yeah. What I, is this, I think, why would I ever yeah. want to be a Christian if all I'm doing is <laughs> you're, you're acting in the same way that other people who aren't Christians are acting? Yeah, I, I think we need to call a truce in the liturgy wars. Amen. It's the devil's gotten people fighting. Uh, my own approach is that whatever the church approves as a legitimate form of doing the liturgy, we should accept, we should honor each other, we shouldn't tear each other down. Yes, the liturgy should always be celebrated with reverence, but you could do that with the Novus Ordo, just like you can do it with the TLM. And, uh, you know, so people are going to get mad because I just said that, but that's part of the problem. You know, we yeah. people are tending to clutch on to something other than God himself as a source of security. People are, try, are, are clutching on to an ideology or a podcast host or a, a form of the liturgy as something to give them security. And a lot of times it comes with suspicion and anger and hostility to people who are, are choosing another legitimate path. So we need to only cling to Jesus and only accept what the Catholic Church accepts as legitimate ways of, of living out the faith and we're going to need to stop fighting each other. It's terrible. Just like you said, you know, it's really awful. The, the devil's winning a victory by getting people hating each other who are Catholics and, and who are Catholics who are concerned about the truth of the faith. You know, <laughs> you know, we need to face the world proclaiming the Lordship of Jesus Christ and not facing each other with a, you know, a circular firing squad. <laughs> Yeah, I, I sometimes when what you're talking about, I get an image when I think about that of the devil sitting back in a lawn chair watching a dog chase its tail around and laughing. Yeah. You know, yeah. just just laughing yeah. like you're going nowhere and he doesn't have to do anything. He's he's yeah. put a little nugget out there and it's destroyed it's yeah. disrupted everything and he's sitting back relaxing laughing at what's going on. Right. And right. That is yeah. I think the thing that that you do so you know, you do so well is calling people back into that relationship with the Lord. And just realizing that, you know, that red candle in every church is, if it's lit, then the presence of Jesus is there. And that's what we need to be concerned with uh, in our faith. Well, a couple other things as we come to a close here, I just, I want to address again really quickly, um, just the issue with the Pope, the issue with our leaders, 
you know, sometimes it could seem like we're a sheep without sheep without a shepherd <laughs> sometimes to folks. Um, what would you say to people in dealing with that? Just because you have the, I, you have the people that are out there that, you know, Pope Francis is the antichrist. Those aren't my words. It's the people that are angry with them. There's people that love everything he does. There's people that don't want to get involved in the conversation altogether. What right. do we do in the situation with just leaders other than, I mean, obviously we pray for them, but what, what's some suggestions there on how to handle all of that? Sure. Well, I think there's no question about it that Pope Francis is a legitimately elected Pope and we owe him respect and we owe him obedience and things that we're bound to obedience, but we're not bound to obey casual comments in a airplane interview. We're not bound to obey uh, off the cuff remarks in a homily. We're not bound to obey uh, personal encounters he has with people and things that he allegedly tells them, like you were born this way and God loves you just like you are. That, that's, that's something else going on there. The personal opinions of popes are not binding magisterial teaching. So Pope Francis is not teaching heresy formally. He may be sometimes giving the impression. He may sometimes be giving confusion or conflicting signals. I think the main problem is conflicting signals. Sometimes he says really, really good things. Uh, he's on record for saying, I believe everything in the catechism of the Catholic Church. But then he went ahead and changed something in the catechism. Uh, right now, there's a there's pressure to change other things in the catechism. Uh, a couple of years ago, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, which is the chief office in Rome concerned about clarity of doctrine, did an in-depth study on an organization called New Ways Ministry, which is devoted to basically promoting the acceptance of homosexuality in the Catholic Church. And they came out with a statement saying, these people are not teaching the Catholic faith. They shouldn't be ministering in the Catholic Church. And American bishops you know, endorsed that also. Well... About a month or two ago, Pope Francis sent a letter to New Ways Ministry and to one of the nuns who's been leading it saying, I'm so sorry you've suffered over the years. And, you know, you're doing such a wonderful work and this is God's work. And so you're saying, here's Pope Francis sort of like contradicting his own doctrinal office, not paying attention to. Uh, so he's saying, what's going on here? Or... Uh, after Archbishop Chaput, you know, former Archbishop of Philadelphia, mm -hmm. issued a letter saying, Father James Martin is not yeah. telling the whole truth. It's ambiguous. He wants us to welcome the LGBTQ community, but he never says that the active practice of homosexuality is seriously wrong and that people should repent. Well, right after that, Pope Francis invited him to a personal audience in Rome, and then later on wrote a letter to him saying, you're doing the work of God type of thing. And you know, uh, what's, you know, it's like, you know, St. Paul says that the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, who's going to come for battle? So a lot of Catholics have mm -hmm. just been whiplashed, like, what? What's going on? And why is this guy who's openly repudiating the truth of the Catholic Church's teaching about homosexuality leading this worldwide process to get us to do what? I don't know. Who knows what's going to happen, you know, type of thing. You know, so I, I think what we have to say is that this confusion, this contradiction, this lack of consistency. He's a legitimate Pope. He says a lot of good things, but a lot of things he says are seem to undermine other things he says and seem to be leaning in a certain direction. 
Amen. Amen. Well said. And that's something that I, I have uh, struggled with too when that letter came out and, and Father James Martin seemed to to be holding it up going, look, 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 it's okay. I've got approval now. You know, it seems to be when you announce something like that, you basically are saying, you know, I've got, I've got uh, permission from the boss to do what I'm doing. Um, yeah. And that's it's very confusing. So, um, you know, I think well, the best the con- thing, go ahead, please. Well, then the congregation for the doctrine of faith was asked to rule on the issue of whether we can bless same sex relationships or not. And they came out with a statement within the last year, saying, no, we can't bless sinful relationships, which kind of freak people out who are trying to change the church teaching. Right after that is when Pope Francis kind of began to lean over backwards, seemingly to contradict and neutralize that statement. Right. So, yeah. Well, at the end of the day, I mean, the church is not asking anything of the LGBTQ or um, you know, same-sex attracted folks to live differently than we ask heterosexual people that are not right. married to live. Exactly. You know, exactly. it's, it's, it, and we don't, I don't know that we do a good enough job explaining that to people. It's just, right. they just don't like assume you're Catholic and you yeah. hate us. Right. Right, 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 right. No, that's really well said, John. Yeah. You know, p- people say, well, what are we going to do? We, we, we've got to get clear ourselves about the revealed truth. We got to really know it's what God's revealing to us about salvation. And then we need a relationship with the Lord of peace, of friendship. We need to have peace in our hearts because Jesus is Lord. We need to have clarity in our head because God has revealed his truth. And so people ask me, they say, Ralph, you know, aren't you discouraged? You you know so much about what's going on that isn't right. And I say, I'm not discouraged at all. And the reason why I'm not discouraged at all is that there's nothing that's happening that isn't happening under the providence of God. God is permitting the confusion in Rome. God is permitting Cardinal Hollerick to repudiate the Catholic faith. You might say, well, what good could come out of this? You know, God only permits those things that he has a plan to bring good out of. Well, one of the things that good, good could come out of it is that the, the, the sickness beneath the surface is now coming out into the open. And it can be it can be repudiated. It can be rejected. We need some bishops and cardinals to step up and do that. Hopefully, ideally, it would be the Pope, although I don't think Cardinal Hollerick would say what he said if he didn't feel like the Pope was like going to at least remain silent about it. So, yeah. you know, so one of the things is letting letting the sickness come to the surface, letting the rot, letting the infidelity, letting the unbelief, letting the sexual immorality, letting the homosexuality, letting it come to the surface. The second good that could come out of it is us doing a gut check. Us having to answer the question, who do you say he is? Every Catholic now can't just coast along by going to church on Sunday. They've got to decide for themselves, who is Jesus? Is he the Lord? Has he revealed his word to us, his will to us? Do I believe it? Am I going to follow it? Am I going to repent in those areas of my own life and bring my life into fuller harmony with God's will? So out of that's going to come a remnant. I, I'm afraid that we're talking about a remnant. I'm afraid we're talking about a minority of people who are called Catholic today, really being disciples of Jesus. But that's part of God's plan too. Out of that remnant, out of come out of that purified church, is going to come a, a much better witness to Jesus and a much more heroic lifestyle. 
Amen. Man, I could, <laughs> I don't think you could have said that any better if you had an hour to write it down and script it. <laughs> That's what a, what a way to, to come to an end here. And I, I believe that, you know, at the end, we have to look at ourselves as martyrs in a way, you know, that, that we have to die to self. Um, you know, we're not the martyrs of old, getting our heads cut off and all the things that happened back then. But but we're in a place where we have to make a choice. We either live for ourselves and for the world and for everything else that, that that's out there, the world, the flesh, and the devil, or we make that choice to live for Christ and die to the things and allow ourselves to be pruned and, 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 and rid of the things that keep us from them, and especially as a church. You know, it, nobody wants to see, you know, mass numbers leaving the faith, but if there's a stronger, more pure, uh, more faithful church that's in the, the remnants of that, then... And that's God's plan, then it is what it is. And we want to make sure that we're part of that uh, by how Amen. we're choosing to live our life. Amen. So, Dr. Ralph Martin, this is, man, what a pleasure to get to spend this time with you and just to to share in your heart and your passion for the Lord. I thank you for the last hour or so that you've given us of your wisdom and of your, your love of the Lord. It's just been really amazing to see. And as we close out here, I want you to be able to to share with people more about what you're doing, where they can find it, um, anything you want to about promoting your ministry and what you have going on. Well, John, I want to want to start by saying I'm really glad to get to know you. I mean, really, I, I knew you as a name on an email. You know, I knew you for yeah. virtual Catholic conferences, and it's a joy to meet you as a brother in the Lord that Amen. we're on the same side in the battle. I, I would like to encourage people to to get the book if they haven't. They can get it at our website, renewalministries.net or Amazon or wherever, you know. And then uh, our YouTube channel. Uh, I just feel like that's where Peter Herbeck and I are really speaking into what's going on right now in the church and in the culture. And the uh, video I did yesterday is is exploding. And I'm talking about some of these things in a, in a fuller kind of way than we did today. So they can just go to renewalministries.net, our website, and then the little YouTube symbol to click on that and go to our YouTube channel or just put into your search box, YouTube channel, Ralph Martin, or YouTube Renewal Ministries. But, uh, John, I'm glad that we can stand together, you know, for witnessing to the truth of the faith and the, the glorious hope that's ours because Jesus is Lord. Amen. Amen. And one of my favorite verses here at the end is, is John fourteen thirty one, And it's one that I try to remember every day when things get hard, when, when the world's coming at you and you just feel like you need to fold and conform or whatever. Mm. It's when Jesus is, is, is uh, talking to the disciples about the rule of the world is coming for him, but he has no power over him. And he Amen. says, but the, but the world must know that I love the father. And then yeah. I do everything the Father has commanded me. And if we live that same way, uh, Jesus was God, we're not, we're imperfect. But if we strive our best every day to live that way, then we're going to have a, a Father in heaven that's proud of us and that's going to welcome us home one day. Amen. So, all right. Well, Dr. Ralph, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Uh, again, go to renewalministries.com. You can support the ministry. Dot uh, net. Oh, I don't want to send you to the wrong place. Renewalministries.net. Support everything they're doing. They have a wonderful team there and they're doing work all the way from uh, with Pete's doing young adult ministry all the way through what Ralph and Peter are doing. So again, my friend, great to have you. Thank you so much for your time and God bless you and your ministry. You too, John.